questions just like that. They're on the same wavelength. Good job. Well, I, I want to uh, jump into part three, but before I do, I, I want to go back to something that Gospel said a moment ago here. Maybe, maybe your campus pastor uh, said it there. Uh, 1,023 people involved in this student weekend at, at our church this weekend. That's a glory to God. Uh, some, uh, some of you were here and you remember a year after we started uh, that we were so jazzed that we hit 323 people on Easter Sunday total. And, and uh, to, to have three times that involved in a student ministry weekend and then 93 of them uh, to make decisions for Christ in one weekend, we give God glory and honor. Would you just thank the Lord for letting us see that and be a part of it? And uh, our, our student team, all of those who volunteer uh, w with the students. In fact, let me just say this. Is every, are students in the, in the service at every campus? Somebody help me. Yes, in this hour. And, and, and so what, what I want to say to you is, A, this is going to be a better service than it was at nine because you are in here. And, and nobody can do your part. What you do to add the energy to the service, old people can't do. And, uh, and, and won't. And, and so you need to be in a service every single week. Your church needs you and needs your energy. And actually, while this was happening, I had some ideas. And, and I'm not going to say them out loud because my staff hates it when I do that. But we're going to change some things. And you're going to be in church. And you're going to be in the service every single week. And those of you who bring uh, students with you, you need to be here both hours. Okay, I know you just want to come one hour and get the heck out of here. That is not how this church works. You need to come an hour and serve an hour. You can do it by serving first and then coming uh, to an hour because we're all about options. You can flip it any way which you want to. But those of you who are parents of teenagers, they need to be in a student service at one hour and they need to be in an adult service the other hour. And so you got to accommodate them. And if you got junior high kids, they can't drive. And so you, and don't dare let them, but, but bring them and be here with them. You need to be here both hours. And in fact, student camp is such a highlight of what we do every year. I go and speak at it every year. We take almost all of the staff team with us. We spend hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to pull these things off to invest into the next generation. And, and so uh, today, uh, they had this great idea uh, coming out of this weekend that if you will sign your student up for student camp today, it will be $100 cheaper than the final camp price. And so you can get a discount today. And uh, it'll be $50 cheaper than even the early bird price. So you need to get your student signed up for camp now, today. You can text student camp to 555 or you can go in the lobby at every single campus and get them signed up today. Now, we're working our way through the Song of Solomon. And, and we said that this book of the Bible, it's a poem uh, for Solomon and his bride. And it's a play, so to speak, where they're playing different roles. And all the characters in the book have different roles to play. But it's also a book of the Bible meaning that it is divinely inspired. So what you could conclude with those two statements coming together is it is a book about divinely inspired sex. And that makes some of you cringe and it makes some of you get a little bit nervous. Uh, others of you think, well, that's, even if that's true, that doesn't apply to me because I live in the real world and, and uh, that can't possibly apply to me. But, but because we might think that this poem in the Bible or this book of the Bible is idealized, that it's idealized marriage and it's idealized sex. But the truth is the book is real. It's really real. And in fact, let's read where we left off last week in chapter five. And see if this sounds familiar to the married couples in here. And, and let me say to all the students in the room, this is applicable to your lives. I, I promise you it is. I, if you will pay attention to this stuff and to this uh, subject matter, it will change your marriage one day. How many of you want to be uh, married one day? Would you just raise your hand? Okay. All the stats say that most of you will be. And, and so pay attention today. But let, let's pick up uh, in chapter five. I slept, but my heart was awake. When I heard my lover knocking and calling, open to me my treasure, my darling, my dove, and my perfect one. Now, you know what he wants, right? Because he is pouring on the compliments. And this is headed one direction in his mind. Look, look at what he goes on to say. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of night. In other words, I am hot and sweaty, and now I want to be hot and sweaty with you. 
Now she responds, watch how she responds. But I responded, I've taken off my robe, should I get dressed again? I've washed my feet, should I get them soiled? Now obviously there's a lot of cultural stuff going on because that doesn't even make any sense taking my robe off. I'm like, great, right? But, but that, that's not what she's saying. What she's saying in that context is, hey, I've already put my pajamas on, right? So you're out of luck, big boy. Now how many times men, married men, has that happened to you where you think, I played this whole day perfectly? This morning before I left, four non-sexual touches or hugs. I cleaned up the dishes after dinner. I helped the children with the homework. I let her watch This Is Us even while the game was on. I did what Pastor Alex taught me last week to sell this thing called sex. I served her. I engaged her in conversation. I listened to her. And now we're going with the final L, love. It is time to get the game on. And the men or the man walks into the bedroom and he gives his wife that look. Men, you know what I'm talking about, right? That, that look that says tonight could be the night, right? And, and, and she says something like, honey, I, I've got a headache tonight. And, and by the way, all the data is in. All scientists and all medical experts agree. The perfect cure for a headache is sex. That's factual. Okay, and so uh, all the men say, amen, right? You got a headache, I got a solution for you. And, 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 but, but in that scenario where he was rejected, I mean, the man is like, oh, I did everything right and I still am getting rejected, which is exactly what happens in this text. Open to me my treasure. Sorry, I already washed my feet, right? And, and so in this book, what, what you see, you may think this is some idealized romance story, but you take another look at it, you see it's not. It's real life and it, really lands very, very close to home. And if you're single here and you want to know what real married sex is like, this is the chapter to read. In fact, look at the the next verse in verse four. My lover tried to unlatch the door and my heart thrilled uh, within me. In other words, I told him no. I told him I have to work tomorrow, but now I'm sort of feeling it too. Now watch what she says, verse 6. I opened to my lover, but he was gone. My heart sank. I searched for him, but could not find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. And so what you got playing out in this story is you got two lovers. One wants to get busy, and the other one is busy. And and, and so he starts to play around a little bit, and she says no. And and so he leaves the room, and and then she starts to think, well, maybe, right? And and now what I meant to say was yes, and and she goes to find him, and he's passed out on the chair in the living room in in front of Sports Center. Da-da-da, da-da-da, right? But it's just a big dud uh, to her because he's asleep, and she's like, honey, let's let's go. And Now I'm tired, right? And and, and so this isn't going to play out. And and so we all have conflict in marriage. We all have conflict or disagreement about sex or conflict and disagreement that will affect sex. And and, and so all conflict and all disagreement at at some point will center around or will certainly affect sex because as a married couple, much of your life centers around sex. You cannot avoid it. You can't avoid that part of your married life. All couples, all couples, just admit it, fight. And if you're a newlywed or you're a newlywed couple, do not try to avoid that your whole married life. You will be very frustrated because all couples fight. But, but what you need to do is fight in the right way. You got to know how to fight in the right way. And it begins with a very simple statement that all of you need to understand. And this doesn't apply just to marriage. It applies to every kind of argument you would ever come into is that a good fight leads to resolution and a bad fight leads to victory. A good fight leads to resolution and a bad fight leads to victory. Now, those of you who know me know that it was very hard for me to say that because I love to win. It does not matter what the game is or what the rules are. I love to win. There's nothing I love more than winning. Maybe sex, but, but it, it's close, right? Because I'm very, 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 very competitive. And, and uh, I race people on 169 not going the same place as me because I got to beat them and, and, and I want to win. In fact, you know, the self-checkout at Walmart, when, you, when you're self-checking out, you know that little section for the self-checkout? Do you know that's a competition? It's you against all the other people who are self-paying, scanning and paying. You say, I don't know that was a competition. That's because you're losing every time. <laughs> if you win, you would know it's a competition. I'm 156 and zero 
in this competition. But here's what I've learned, that if Meredith and I disagree on something and I win the argument, I actually still lose. And the result you may want in a disagreement is victory. To argue, uh, to use reasoning, to use logic, to get them to see your point of view. But the result that will help you, the result that will help your love life, the result that will help your sex life is resolution, coming to a resolution together. And so instead of seeing it as you versus your spouse, view it like you are teammates. And it is you and your spouse versus the world. It's you and your spouse uh, versus the issue. It's you and your spouse versus the, the, the enemy. And, and when you see it that way, you don't want your teammate to lose. You want to come to a resolution so that you can get back out on the field and start playing again. And and when things are going well, every little conflict is easy to deal with. But when things are not going so well, any little conflict feels like hell. And it is directly tied to your intimacy with your heavenly father and with each other. And in chapter three of the book of Song of Solomon, the woman goes out at night to look for her lover. She finds him, brings him back to the bedroom, and it is incredible. In chapter five, there's a little rust on the relationship and she goes out to find him and it it, it doesn't end well. And and so you have these two scenes, almost the exact same scene. One ends with intimacy and with happiness, the other with pain and with wounds. And, And the difference, hear me, is not the circumstances that came onto their marriage. The difference is how they handled the circumstances. And you need to write this sentence down, hear me. Your response to issues in your marriage is always subject to your will. Always. You cannot control when bad things come against your marriage. You can't control that. But you can control how you handle the things that get in your marriage. Strife in marriage is not caused by getting hurt. It is caused by getting hurt and letting hurt fester and letting it grow and let it turn into bitterness that you never let go of. Hear me, boats don't sink because of storms. And boats don't sink because of the water outside of the boat. Ultimately, every boat that sinks is because of the water that got in the boat. Listen to what Proverbs says in chapter 16. It's better to be patient than to be powerful. And it's better to have self-control than to conquer a city. If we want to win the fight, we we want to score. We want to score a touchdown. We, We want to notch up the victory. But what price do you pay in conquering your spouse? A big one. And your marriage's chance of survival through difficult times, hear me, is directly tied to yours and your spouse's level of self-control. If we can manage how we respond during conflict, we can find a resolution. If we cannot manage ourselves and our tempers, we will lose. Even if we win the argument, we will lose. And and so I am saying that you and your spouse will disagree. Completely normal, right? And, And I am saying to you that there will be conflict. Completely completely normal and completely okay. But you need to approach it with the right attitude and with the right behavior. And dealing with it begins with understanding the root of the conflict. Married people will come into conflict for two reasons. First of all, because they're imperfect. Marriage is a combination of two imperfect people. It is not one perfect and one perfect. It is not one perfect and one imperfect. Every marriage is two imperfect people coming together. And you need to let that get down deep in your heart. And because we are imperfect people, we come into our marriages with pasts. You will never marry someone who doesn't have a past. It it, it just won't happen. And and so when we come into the marriage with our past, we come in with all this baggage into our married life. Some of it's heavy, some of it's light, some of it's easy, some of it's difficult, some of it's dangerous, some of it's harmless, but but we come into the marriage with baggage. And and the second reason that there's conflict is we also come into the marriage with a playbook. And we've been working on this playbook, and each person's playbook is different. And and because of that, the playbook you've been writing, you've been writing it since you were born. And maybe you had parents who fought aggressively with one another, or you had parents who were passive, uh, aggressive towards one another, or or you had parents who walked through things or, or blew up on each other. 
all the negative and all the positive goes into causing you to begin writing your playbook. And, and listen, a lot of this has to do with how your spouse views her or, or his parents. That's just the way that it is. And the baggage we bring into it's our playbook. And it's personal to you. It's very, very, very personal. We all have one and they're all different. And it is very personal. And the reason it is very personal is because you have been the one writing it. And it's the only playbook you know. And so it tells you how to deal with conflict. And it tells you what the other person is thinking and feeling. It tells you who initiates, where, when, how. It's the playbook. And I promise you, it's not the same as your spouse's. And all of those things are written down in your playbook, whether you know it or not. And chances are you don't. Because so much of it is unconscious. And so we got to figure out our own playbook before we can, you know, shoot bullets at our spouse's uh, playbook. And, and you got to figure out what yours is. And the way you do that is through introspection and, and by praying about it and journaling and asking the Holy Spirit to show you. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal these things to you and wants to show you the truth. And so you ought to ask yourself some personal questions. What is it that turns me on? What is it that turns me off? Why? Why is that true? What, what is my greatest fear? What fulfills me the most in, in life? And by the way, when I understand my own playbook, it will help me then to begin to understand my spouses and recognize that your tendencies are based on your past, both good and bad. And I like this because, you know, of my first kiss, or I like this because of my first crush, or I like this because of my first whatever, right? You may want your wife to dress a certain way in the bedroom because you grew up watching all of the James Bond movies, right? Or you, you, you may want your husband to respond a certain way in the bedroom because you grew up reading romance uh, novels. But, but it starts with knowing why you feel that way. And when you uncover the hidden influences of your playbook, here's what you will find. Some of them are healthy, and some of them are not. And some of them are beyond unhealthy. They are ungodly. And, and some of us have uh, here have some very unhealthy views or plays in our playbook, and some of them are based on some very tragic sexual history. And maybe your spouse doesn't even know about it, right? In fact, most husbands who are in that boat don't even know that their wives have been sexually assaulted to one degree or another. And it can be very difficult for the two of you as you begin to walk through that. And so trying to figure out your playbook uh, or your spouse's playbook while you are in the middle of a conflict is like trying to drive down the highway, reaching under the glove compartment and rewire the car while you're moving 70 miles an hour. It is almost impossible. So you have to be patient and you have to take some time and you got to show a lot of grace. And here's the principle. If, if you want to be a great lover, a great one, because great lovers, not good ones, but great ones, no longer view sex through the lens of what am I getting out of this? And they start viewing it through the lens as a mutually, mutually fulfilling proposition. And listen, the most sexually fulfilled spouse is the most sexually fulfilling partner. And they go hand in hand. So let's talk about damage control because there's a lot of damage. And if you'll listen to me, students, at this stage in the game, you will go into marriage with a lot less damage and a lot less baggage. And you do this God's way. But let's talk about how do we restore the love that we have with our spouse. So let's go back to the Song of Solomon and let's see what it was that they happened to do because they got off track and they hit some conflict, but they recovered. So what did they do? And all of my points, these three points are going to have a P and an R because what I'm giving you is a PR kit for damage control in your life, okay? Here's the first point. Personal responsibility. There are things that you can do to work on you even if your spouse will not work on themselves. There are things that you can do that are your part regardless of what your spouse agrees to or not agrees to, right? Your job, hear me, hear me, hear me, is not to change your spouse. 
That is not your job. You, 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 you're not even trying to change their feelings. We must all personally identify our own issues. Look, look at this in, in chapter five. I opened to my lover, but he was gone. My heart sank. I searched for him, but I could not find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. In other words, here's what she did. She did not blame him. She did her part. She got up. She opened the door. She looked for him. She searched for him. She called out to him. He wasn't there, but she still did her part. And there is more application and more lesson in that than meets the eye. She followed through in her own personal responsibility. And I need you all to hear me when I say this to you. No one is to blame for the way you feel. You choose how to feel. And that is between you and God. And if you will pay attention to what I'm saying, I'm going to give you the fast track to get out of codependency in life. Because hear me, your spouse is a limited resource. You have to take them off the throne of your life. You have to take them off the place that is to fulfill you and to make you whole and to make you complete. They can't do that for themselves, so they certainly can't do that for you. But your God is unlimited. And so when you put him on the throne of your life, it's unlimited the blessing that he can bring in your life. The refills are unlimited with your heavenly father. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 to be uh, renewed or transformed by the renewing of our minds. And he starts that whole dialogue this way, in view of God's mercy, not in view of my wounds, not in view of my spouse, not in view of my damage, in view of the mercy of God, which is unlimited. Let your mind be transformed. Listen, your spouse... You are 100% responsible for your heart, 100%. Your spouse is 0% responsible for your heart. And, and so you have to keep the lines of communication open and honest and don't shut down. Listen, don't stick your head in a hole and, and let the hurt spread. Don't stomp your feet and rush out in the middle of a conflict. Grow up. Listen, stick with it. You made a commitment to your spouse, so keep it. Be honest and, and say, that hurt. What you just did, what you just said, that, that, that hurt me. Be honest about that. And, and instead of keeping it bottled up inside, because when you keep it bottled up inside, the hurt will fester. And it will rot, and it will spread, and it will burst, and it will destroy your relationship. But once you get it out in the open, seven out of ten times, on the backside of saying that hurt, you, you'll follow it up with, you know what, that's ridiculous. I'm not hurt. It just felt like it hurt for a minute. It stung for a minute. I'm just being too sensitive. That wasn't even really all that hurtful. But on the few times that it really was hurtful, what you've just done is given your spouse permission to ask for forgiveness. He doesn't know he's hurt you. Guess what? He, he doesn't know. And some of you are like, really? How could he not know? I am looking at him with a cold stare. Let me explain this to you. We as a gender are stupid. We are not in touch in that regard. We don't know that we've hurt you. We don't understand communication. We weren't wired to even understand communication. We don't know we hurt you because in our mind, our words make perfect sense to us. And that's all that matters to us. And if we hurt you, we need to be told. We need to know that we hurt you because we don't know. So keep the path open. And men, you have to engage her. Listen, she doesn't just hand you this. She communicates for rapport, not for report. And men, we communicate for the report. Can you just give me the bottom line, please? I'm not interested in all of the details. We are different from one another. And so you can't just say, well, tell me. That's not how it works. She was wired for you to go pull that out of her. You have to engage her. So when she says that hurt me, you have to follow that up with, how did that make you feel when I said that? You have to engage and, and, and go get it out of her. Now, Men, I'm, I'm on you here, and I'm telling you, you have to engage. Women, let me counterbalance this for just one second. When he says that to you, make it short. <laughs> do not go on and on, and do not repeat yourself. 
He is not dumb. Make it short. Let's talk is right up there with IRS audit and root canal for your husband. (laughs) And so when he engages you, play it right. Make it short. Make it smart. One time I asked a man that left my office in counseling from counseling, and, and I said to him, hey, in private, I said, does it bother you that she always gets the last word? He's like, no, Pastor, man, I'm just glad it's the last word. Men are fidgety. They're not great at communication, right? That's the reason we play golf. You know, when you study a golf game, we actually played golf for about a minute and 68, 60 seconds, almost two minutes, 56 seconds. But but we're out there for four hours. It's you fidget and say a word and then fidget and say a word and fidget. So let me give you a tip as a married couple, go on a walk. You want to get your husband to talk, hold his hand and go on a walk. He doesn't have to look at you. He doesn't have to deal with the discomfort of looking you in the eyes during that moment and have the conversation while you're walking, okay? Personal responsibility. You got to take care of you. Here's the second one. Personal relationships. This is such a big deal. This is where you ask yourself, who am I listening to? When my marriage has problems, who do I go to? And hear me, make sure you're going to the right sources and to the right voices. Uh, what I want to say, I feel all the time as a, as a minister in the, in the counseling world, and I'm not good at it, okay? So you don't want to see me. When you call and say, can I see the pastor? That is a mistake on your part. We got lots of counselors that are way better than me. It won't be good for me and it won't be good for you. So just see one of the other pastors to begin with and do yourself a favor. But when I talk to all the other counselors and meet with all the other counselors, what, what, what they say to me is in this world, we feel like the people, like a physician does when patients come to see them and say, hey, I, I've been Googling this. I know you've been to school for 26 years, but, I, but I've been Googling this. I know you see this all day, every day, but, but I've been Googling this. That has to frustrate doctors. I'm going to tell you what, it frustrates counselors to the nth degree. Let me just say to all of you who are not in a healthy spot in life, shut up. Quit talking and giving advice to other people when you're not in a good space. You are not qualified to give advice. Listen, you don't go to the person who's been divorced five times and ask for marriage advice. That's asinine. They will see your spouse through the lens of one of their abusive spouses in the past, and they will put your spouse in an unfair situation. That's not how the world works. And so as a pastor, I just want to say to those of you who are not healthy and not spending time with God and not following the Holy Spirit, shut up and quit giving people advice. But as the children of God, you can clap for that. As the children of God, hear me. We got to make sure we're going to the right voices. Look at what Solomon's wife, what, what, what she did. And uh, chapter five and verse eight and nine, listen, we see this back and forth and back and forth and back and forth between her and the women of Jerusalem. That group, the women of Jerusalem, is what my friend Ted Cunningham calls the backup singers for your marriage. That every marriage needs backup singers. And look at what they said to her in chapter six and verse one. We can help you. Do you know what that means? We can help you take your personal responsibility to work on you. We can help you because you got issues. It's not all him and it's not all her. You're imperfect too. We can help you and they will shoot straight with you. But not only can we help you, we can help you find him. We're going to help you reconcile this thing. We're going to help you do this God's way. We're not going to arm you so that when you get back in a conversation with your spouse, you can shoot at her. I'm not going to arm you so that when your husband comes back onto the phone, that that now you have enough ammunition to blow his head off. Listen, we can help you and we can help you find him. That's what your marriage needs. You need people who, who will be that for you, who will speak the ministry of reconciliation into your home. You got to ask yourself this question, who am I going to mute And who am I going to turn up and and never hear me, hear me, hear me. I can't memorize enough nevers. Never, 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 never let the kids be involved in this. Never. 
In fact, you do your best not to argue in front of them. And when you do, you go apologize and you ask for forgiveness of your children. Listen, never use your children as collateral in your conflict with your spouse. Never. Keep it private. And by the way, these godly friends, these women of Jerusalem, these backup singers, let me tell you what they are. They are like the lane assist in these new vehicles. Anybody driven one with, with, with lane assist? There's stages in, in, in this thing. Like you start to get out of your lane and it, it kind of just beeps at you. And then it'll nudge you back into the lane, right? And in fact, it scares me to death when it does that. It'll nudge you back and I'm going to jump in like, you know, I should have been awake and paying attention. And, and, and sometimes it gets violent and will jerk you back into the lane. But, but then it will just kick you in the backside. It will vibrate right on your butt. And it will tell you you are out of the lane. That's what good godly friends are like. They, they, they keep you in the lane that you're supposed to be in and they know how to do it gently and, and a little less gentle and a little less gentle and then to kick you in the backside to say, no, 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 no. Get back over here, okay? Here, here's the third step in this PR kit. Purposeful reconciliation. And, and at the end of uh, chapter five in Song of Solomon and all through chapter six, you see this rough spot mended and what you see is reconciliation happen. And so you've worked on you you found some confidants who, who are helping you work on you and helping you uh, move towards reconciliation. Now you come back to purposeful reconciliation. And here's what you do. You share in the form of repentance. Only for what you said and what you did. Not for what is in their heart. You did not put that there. You ask for forgiveness for what you said and what you did. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love keeps no record of being wrong. I got to tell you, I don't, I hate that verse. How do we know who's winning if we're not keeping score? How do we know who's right and, and who's wrong if we're not keeping a record? Here's the deal. When you're in the middle of a hurt, when you have just been wounded, the temptation is to lash out. The temptation is to reach back into the past and hurl a bomb into the present. This is just like that time three years ago when you... Da -da 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 Right? And it's like throwing a grenade into a foxhole. But what happens is that grenade rolls right back at your feet. And we get in the heat of things and we want to win the argument, so we launch the grenade. And, and later we realize we're only hurting ourselves because we're actually on the same side. And, and so the point is, don't ever use harmful language. Don't ever call your spouse a hurtful name. Don't. Never use words like never and always. You never, da 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 or you always expect me to, da 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 First of all, that's not true. And, and second of all, that is a great way to stop conflict before it gets to resolution. And in the PR world, listen, you want to fight the bad with the positive, right? There, there's a bad story out there. You want to uh, overcome the bad perception with a good perception. And PR, that's called resetting the narrative. It's not all damage control. By the way, I love being married, okay? I, I, don't, I hope you don't get the impression that I don't love being married. I love being married. I wouldn't have it any other way. And uh, Meredith was out of town last weekend. She asked me when I met up with her in New York on Sunday night. She said, you know, how was the weekend? I said, man, I got a lot done. I wrote like five sermons. And, and, and the kids did 14 loads of laundry. I'm whipping the weapon, you know, at them all weekend. We're getting it all done. We got a lot. I got a lot done. But I was bored out of my mind. Because I love being with her. I love her being close to me. I, I love us being in this relationship. So it's not all bad. There's a whole lot of good, right? And there's a whole lot of health. And it's not all damage control. Sometimes there's a whole lot of good. And you got to reset the narrative with good and open these lines of communication. And so let me give you three things in conclusion. Three things that are present in every single healthy marriage, okay? Even non-Christian ones that are healthy. These three things are present. Here's the first one. Priority. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, the second chapter of the world, the second chapter of human relationships. God is ordaining this marriage between Adam and Eve. And here's what he said. And they shall leave their family of origin and they shall cleave to one another. They shall leave 
means this relationship now is the priority. All the other relationships are no longer the priority. This relationship is the priority. And I've given you the prescription at least 10 times in the last 10 years. In order for your marriage to be a priority, you have to have a daily delay, a weekly withdrawal, and an annual abandon. Daily you delay where the kids are not present. Daily you talk about the bills, you talk about the calendar, you talk about what's coming. So there are no surprises. Weekly you withdraw. And if you do the daily delay properly, you don't have to deal with all that stuff in the weekly withdrawal and in the day. You can talk about you. You can connect socially and, and, and interpersonally. And then on the annual abandon, you don't deal with any of that, right? You go on vacation and get away from all of it. Here's the point. Mommy and daddy are first. They are the first priority. They are the first priority in the relationship. It is not the kids. They are welcome visitors. That's what they are. They, in 18 years, they are moving out. If they're millennials, in 30 years, they're moving out. But they are moving out either way. I shouldn't have said that. I love my millennials. But, but when, when you move out, listen, you're the two that are going to be together. When you open Christmas presents, let her open hers first. When, when, when you do value, she gets the most value. He gets the most value. When daddy walks in the door, everything stops. You come over and kiss him and love on him. Why? Because he is the priority. You have got to make each other the priority in the home. By the way, the job, it can't be your priority either. Some of you give more to your boss than you give to your spouse, and that's wrong. It's wrong. God, then your spouse and the scripture is so incredibly clear about that. Here's the second thing that's present, pursuit. God in Genesis 2 said you leave and you cleave. That means you pursue them. You pursue them. Even after you caught them, you pursue them. Some of you are hunters and you're like on the hunt and you caught that thing and you mounted it and now you're done with it. Listen, that's not how it works. You have to continually pursue one another even though you already have them. And here's the truth of the matter. I got too much invested in marriage. I worked hard to get her. I bought all kinds of flowers and outfits, outfits. I went to the mall and, and girl stores and bought outfits when we were dating. I endured little women and lay Miz God knows how many times. I'm not quitting now. I, I, I got to continue to work hard. If you want to keep the fire burning, throw another log on it. Our counselors tell us that people say all the time now, well, we're not in love anymore. We, we fell out of love. Saying you're going to divorce your spouse because you fell out of love is like saying you're going to sell your car because it ran out of gas. Pull back in and put some more in it. Listen to me. Husbands, by the way, here's how you pursue your wives. You pursue them with affection. That's how you do it. You pursue them with affection. Look, look, look at what he says to her. Your teeth are as white as sheep, freshly washed. <laughs> you, you, your smile is flawless. Each tooth is matched with its twin. Your cheeks are like rosy pomegranate, pomegranates under the veil. In, in, in other words, that's weird, right? I mean, the, the imagery is so weird. You have good teeth. Probably back then there were no dentists. And so good teeth was like unusually beautiful. But there's all kinds of imagery in this book. Some of it makes no sense whatsoever. In chapter 3 and verse 7, he says, your breasts are like twin fawns. That made no sense to me until my daughter was about four or five years old, Catherine. And we went to the fair. And at the fair, in the buildings, is a petting zoo. And we went into the petting zoo, and there were two little twin fawns in there. And I just wanted to reach out and touch them. all of a sudden the Bible came alive and I understood exactly what he was talking about. Listen, you pursue her with affection. Now, ladies, listen to me. You don't pursue with affection. You pursue with affirmation. I want you to listen. I'm going to balance it, okay? Men, all of them, are grown-up 10-year-old boys. 
all of them. And sometimes you see it, right? It comes out. But what does a 10-year-old boy do? Walks in the house and says, Mama, look at my muscles. How strong am I? Look, look at my abs. Look what I did, mama. And, and a good mama knows you are so smart, you are so strong, and you are so good. You are so smart, you are so strong, and you are so good, right? And, and, and that's what a good mama does for that 10-year-old boy. But we're all 10-year-old boys. All the science is in 100% of what four-year-old girls say is intelligible. 100%. 40% of what four-year-old boys say is completely unintelligible. It's not even words. Go, you don't believe me? Go in a preschool class with four-year-old boys. They're just making all kinds of noises and, and signs and, and all kinds of stuff. Why? That's how they're wired. And your husband is wired just like that. So pursue him with affirmation. And ladies, I want you to hear me. You cannot shame a man into action. You can't. You can't. They will shut down. You affirm them and you tell them who they are and who they are in Christ and how strong and how smart and how good they are. And, and it, by the way, if you speak one love language and they speak an, another one altogether, and I assure you that is true. I assure you that is true. Uh, you don't marry people. Uh, they, they don't get married. People that are just alike with one another, according to Paula Abdul. Opposites attract. And, and so... You, if you speak different languages, I, I take a lot of people to Egypt. I leave tomorrow to, to go visit TC Egypt. Would you just give a shout out to TC Egypt and TC Jordan? I'm going to go speak at the Global Leadership Summit in Egypt to all pastors, all leaders, and all ministers in, in, in the country of Egypt for a few days this week. Pretty exciting what the Lord is doing. Yeah. But, but, but let me just say this to you. Sometimes I take some of you into Egypt, and some of you are brilliant. And you are CEOs, and you are smart people, and you're running organizations. And yet we don't even get past visa control before it just shows how ignorant you are. That, that, that you get up to visa, you know, the passport control and the visa situation, and, and an Arab person who speaks zero English, you try to speak to them in English. And then when they don't understand, you start yelling at them in English. As if louder and slower English is ever going to work. They're not dumb and they're not deaf. They're just different from you. And your spouse is not dumb and, and, and is not deaf. They're just different from you. And you got to learn how to speak the language. So priority and, and pursuit. Here, here's the third one. Partnership. Partnership. You shall leave, you shall cleave, and the two shall become one. We say it this way in our house. What we do, we do together. What we do, we do together. Look, I, I, I love to play golf. Meredith hates golf. So I, I go play golf, and I have a few friends that I play golf with, and she likes to shop. I hate shopping. And, and so she, she will sometimes go shopping. But you know what? What we do, we do together. I'm not one of those who needs all this weekend time with men. And she's not this one that needs all this weekend time with women and all these relationships. So we need each other. And God gave us each other. Uh, there, there's a thing that we do for men, uh, by the way, if, uh, on Friday mornings called the Anchor at the Midtown Campus. And uh, it's early in the morning, I don't know, like 6.30 or 7 o'clock. And it's phenomenal. And it's men sharpening men. And, and, and different ones of us talk and different pastors talk. And all of the men in our churches are always like, hey, pastor, when are you coming to the Anchor? When are you going to come speak at the Anchor? When are you going to be at the Anchor? And the answer is never. I've been twice in 15 years. You know why? Because Friday is Meredith's day. I work my tail off on Sunday through Thursday, but Friday is hers, and she knows it. In 15 years, I've probably been in the office 10 times on a Friday. Because Meredith knows I will get it done. I will not be lazy. I will wake up before the sun goes, comes up, and I, I will go to bed working on Sunday through Thursday. But I will be with her on Friday and Saturday, and it's her time. And usually she's driving the agenda. Where she wants to go eat, what she wants me to see, what she wants. And sometimes, like once a year, she'll ride with me in a golf cart. I'm more giving than she is. <laughs> but 
we, we're, we're doing this together. One flesh is what Genesis says. They become one flesh. And Matthew, by the way, Jesus quoted this verse. He quoted Genesis chapter 2. And he says, and the two shall become one. And he adds a phrase that's not present in Genesis 2. And he says, and don't let anything separate you. What God has joined together, let nothing else separate. Why? What was Jesus telling us? He's saying they're going to try. This world is going to try to separate you. It is going to try to drive a wedge between you and the love of your life and your spouse. And many times it appears that they're winning. But according to Jesus, he's, no, 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 you're partners. You, you, you do this together. You are different from your spouse. And those differences can either annoy you or strengthen you. I don't hire a lot of staff members like me. I couldn't stand another one. I'd kill them. Right? I, I, I don't want somebody who wants to be the boss around here. I, I, I want somebody who wants to fall in line. And who wants to say, what is your vision? Let's go. You know what? In my marriage, we, I, I don't need two of me in my house. That would be World War Twelve. I need somebody who's different to balance me and to bring strength to our relationship. And, and there are times that Meredith will say, hey, what you just said, that was harsh. They should da 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 stupid Peter. Yeah, but it was harsh. And I can let that annoy me or I can let it strengthen me. I, I didn't mean for that to be harsh. I know, Alex, but it was. And we are stronger because of it. I love what my friend Ted said that Gary Smalley taught him early in his marriage to take the differences and build an honor list out of it. He, he, he had a list that was like, I don't know, like 11 pages long for Norma, his wife. And I've met Norma. I, it should be 11 pages long. But, but Ted wrote one for Amy, and, and I, I read, I said, let me see it. And the very first one was, Amy is always late. She's always running behind. It doesn't matter what time they get up. It, it, they will be in the car. One more thing, I got to go back inside. And Ted is this fundamental Baptist guy raised in, in, in this strict, strict, strict world. If you're not five minutes early, you're late. And so it drives him bonkers until Gary taught him to do this. And the very first one on his honor list is I honor Amy because her attention to detail is so much greater than everyone else's, even in the 12th hour. She's going to pay attention. And see, you see, you can let it annoy you or you can let it strengthen you. Different. Let me just pray over you. I've run out of time. Let me, let me pray over you. We'll pick it back up. And... Before I begin to pray over you, can I just ask you this question? What, what is your personal responsibility? Would you just let the Holy Spirit speak that to you? I'm always encouraged when somebody says to me, hey, the Holy Spirit's talking to me. Because he's always talking. The question is, are we listening? I, I want my life to be lived in such a way that I follow the cloud by day and the fire by night. I got to follow the Spirit. Would you just invite the Spirit right now to show you what your issue is? That you're supposed to own? Not your spouse's, yours. W will you take care of that and deal with that issue? What about your personal relationships? Who are you listening to? Who you need to put on mute? And who do you need to turn up? And the answer is very, very clear. The one that pushes you towards God and God's way is the one you turn up. And will you move towards purposeful reconciliation? That's the ministry that God gave us is the ministry of reconciliation. Will you begin to move towards reconciliation? Will you give your marriage priority above all other relationships except Jesus? Will, will, will you give it pursuit? I'm going to pursue you. 
even though I got you. Could I just encourage you in this way at every campus? If you're sitting next to your spouse, if you're not already, just reach over and grab their hand. Just put your arm around them. And I know, I, I, I know that in every situation, that's not easy. I'm not saying to you that what they did is right. I'm not saying that it wasn't painful. I'm not saying that it wasn't hurtful. I'm just saying, would you just communicate? I'm going to pursue you. Because you matter. You're not saying you have. You're not saying you've done a good job. You're saying, I'm going to pursue you. And then will you enter into partnership? Just, Just squeeze your spouse's hand. Just squeeze her shoulder, his shoulder. We're in this together. We're going to be partners. Get on the same page and speak each other's languages. And watch and see. In fact, the scripture is so very clear that when we get this thing right, marriage, Jesus is lifted up. When we get this right, the witness is unbelievable to the world. When we get our homes right, our church is right. And our witness and evangelism is right. And our discipleship is right. Could we just go back to the basics and say, we're going to prioritize this relationship. Father, I pray over our marriages in our church today. I pray that you would help them in these ways. And I pray, Father, you'd give them purity. Godly purity that just would just infiltrate their hearts and their lives and their relationship with one another, undefiled. Regardless of what they walk through, regardless of what's in their past, that you would take them to a new place, not as good as it used to be, better than it's ever been. Lord, that you would take them to a, a relationship that's so much better than they ever dreamed possible. And that it would be a picture of Christ and the church. Would you do that for us, Lord? We're begging for your mercy. And we're asking for your strength all over our families. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we all say amen and amen. Would you thank the Lord today for truth from his word? Let me, let me, uh, let me just call your attention to one thing. On your way out today, okay? On, on your way out today. The the ushers are going to give you a a, a resource. And on one side, it's books that I'm recommending for you to read, okay? Marriage books, men's books, women's books, singles books that that will help you, okay? You want further reading? You you want to go further? You want to be the advanced student in the class? Pick up these books. And and then on the back side, we couldn't get it all on one page, but we put a QR code on it. And so if you'll just shoot it with your camera on your phone, and, and it will pull up a list of counselors that we recommend all over this city. And by the way, I would say this to you, every marriage at one time or another needs a counselor. Every single marriage. There is no embarrassment and no shame in going to see a counselor and finding a third party to speak in truth. You better find a good one and you better find a godly one. And so we're giving you a list of them all over this city just to bless you and help you take this further and grow in your relationship with Christ. Today, if you're a guest or a new person or you want somebody to pray over you, just outside the door of your campus on the left, you can find a guest reception there, okay? Some of the staff will be there. God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful day. Hey, thanks for joining us today online. 